Praise the Lord. God is so good. Let's go ahead and get started. I'd like to get through as much as we can today. We're going to begin the gifts of the Spirit. There are nine of them, and we're probably going to get through the first three. Hopefully we can finish the last six in one segment. I don't know. So um, since we are here, and as I say, we may not pass this way again, and because of its importance to the church of of Jesus Christ, um, we, we are going to take our time with that. Is that okay? All right. Praise the Lord. So let's begin with prayer. Lord, we love you and we thank you for thy word. We thank you for those who have come. I ask you to bless them, Lord. Bless them by illuminating their understanding. Open their understanding that they might understand the scripture. Because it's by your spirit that we understand the scripture, God. And give us a deep love, a deep desire, God, a longing to know more of thy word. I pray it in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. So we are now in Matthew part 13. And when we were last together, we took a look at the fivefold ministry which has its foundation in Jesus and are exemplified in his earthly ministry. And we also looked at the offices of the king and high priest, which were in him, and how they continue in his body, the church today. To reiterate, the reason we're looking at this is because we're going to carry on with the story of Jesus in Matthew. And to better understand him, we're going to focus on his particular offices and the nine gifts of the Spirit that were in operation. We have to understand that Jesus Christ, though divine and though God, came as a man, just like you and me. And therefore, the miracles that he did, the things that he did, were by the leading of the Holy Spirit, by the will of the Father, and by the power of the Holy Spirit. As we we talked about last time we were together, that God anointed Jesus Christ who went about doing good things. And God anointed his church and the church as a whole, as the body of Christ, should go about continuing to do the things that Jesus did. And we talked about that last, last time. We just want to reiterate that. And this is why we're studying this in this segment, though we are still in the Gospels. And so we now come to the gifts of the Spirit. By the way, how many offices are are there in Jesus? How many offices did he fulfill? Seven. Right? So there is the fivefold ministry, which God calls men into. He gave some. He himself gave. So the fivefold ministry comes directly from God. It cannot be earned. You cannot go to school and, and get that. It comes from the Holy Spirit. But the office of the king and the office of the priest is for the entire church. We are a kingdom of priests. If I said we were a kingdom of hockey players, everybody here would know how to play hockey. Well, but we're not a kingdom of hockey players. We're a kingdom of priests. So everyone here should be a priest. And not just a a priest, but a royal priesthood after the order of Melchizedek who Jesus' high priesthood was patterned after. We reign, we rule, and we offer sacrifice. That is the job of a royal priesthood. But we are now in the gifts of the Spirit. And Paul stated in 1 Corinthians uh, uh, chapter, uh, chapter 1, verse 1, Now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I do not want you to be ignorant. And I, for one, don't want to be ignorant We should not only know about the gifts of the Spirit, but be learned in the use of them. They should have a common occurrence in the body of Christ. This should not be something that's a rarity. It wasn't a rarity in the Bible at all. And uh, when we study Corinthians, we're going to find out that was a carnal church. But they had the gifts of the Spirit, which is why he had to train them in their proper usage. But they were actually a carnal church who went about doing crazy things that most of us would be kicked out of church for. And yet they were operating daily, continuously in the gifts of the Spirit as God's church should. We are living in a devil-afflicted world. Everywhere we look, we see lives suffering the consequences of sin. 
Depression is at an all-time high. Mental illness is rampant. Drug addiction is an epidemic. Broken homes are the norm in our society. And then there are the physical problems in the world. Broken bodies, diseases, afflictions brought upon mankind because sin came into the world. Because that's the way, that's the nature of the kingdom of darkness. But we are the kingdom of light and we bring the kingdom of God and the message of the kingdom comes with power to destroy the works of the devil. And we are living in a world that cannot be helped with enticing words of men's wisdom. Can I tell you that I don't consider myself an orator and I don't consider myself a, 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 just a, someone who's trying to give you wisdom or an academic understanding. I want to declare to you the Word of God because with the Word of God there is power. And this Word will sink into your heart and you will begin to do the things that God wants His church to do, which is His will. He came to set the captive free, we're to set the captive free. He came to bind up the brokenhearted, we're to bind up the brokenhearted. That is what we do. And um, the, the fact of the matter is what good is compassion, and the church should have compassion. In fact, all of the gifts should be operated in love. But what good is compassion without power to help? And what good is it to care for the hungry if we have no food to give to the hungry? What good does that do to the hungry? It might make us feel good to care, but it does nothing for them. And what good are kind words to a drug addict or mere sympathy to the man who is possessed by a demonic spirit? Words are no good at all. Compassion for the lost is not enough. A nice church building although I, I appreciate it, is not enough. A talented and moving song service and singers, and I appreciate them, but they are not enough. The church must have uh, the power of God, and I mean dunamis power, dynamite power, the actual power to change things, and with that, the authority, the position in which to utilize that power to destroy the works of the devil. The devil likes boring, complacent church. He's perfectly at home there. He likes divided church that is not unified. He's perfectly at home there. But he does not want a church that's set on fire by the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit moving through uh, that church and doing the will and the work of God with authority and power. That makes him tremble. I've said it before. We are the only light of the world. We are the only salt of the earth. And we are the only ones with the weapon with the weapons to defeat the spiritual darkness of his kingdom. So in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, beginning at verse 4 uh, to 11, Paul enumerated the gifts of the Spirit. There are diversities of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are differences of ministries, but the same Lord and there are diversities of activities, but it is the same God who works all in all. What he's saying is, I might use the gifts different than you use the gifts, but it's still the Spirit of God, the same Spirit, using them through me. He's just using it in a different way. But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one for the profit of all. For to one is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit, to another, the word of knowledge through the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healings by the same Spirit. To another, the working of miracles. To another, prophecy. To another, discerning of spirits. To another, different kinds of tongues. To another, the interpretation of tongues. But one and the same Spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually as he wills. 
Now that's as God wills. That's not as the person that's being used wills. That's God's will. And any time the gifts of the Spirit are not being used as God wills, it's witchcraft. Mm -hmm. That's all it is. It's soothsaying. It's witchcraft. And we must follow the will of God. Church, everything that we do should be the will of God. His will is always right. Our will never trumps Him, and our will, we can never give God advice. He is always right. We follow His will. Paul said we are many members but one body. We need each other. If my body had nothing but eyes, I could not speak. If my body had only ears, I could not see. The members of my body need the other members of my body in order to be called whole. And we want to be whole. We want Upper Room the Church to be a, a church that is whole, not divided, not with a severed limb or, uh, uh, or an eyeball where an ear should be or an ear where an eyeball should be. Okay, we want God's body to be whole. The body of Christ needs all of its members working together to accomplish His will. It is the will of the head of the body. How many people know what epilepsy is? If my body decided not to listen to my head and just did whatever it wanted to do, I would be having what would look like an epileptic seizure. And it is not God's will that His church have an epileptic seizure. He wants to be able to control His body. And it is important that we follow His will and work together as a body. I need you. I need you to use the gifts that God has given you. And you need the gifts God has given me. So sometimes the gifts that I have are necessary for the church. I'm using one now. Right? I'm speaking, I'm teaching to you. That's a gift that God has given to me. But let me tell you something about Ricky Taylor. The guy I like in the Bible is Elijah. He's, he's a lot like me. I, I get in the power of God. I get in the presence of God. I feel like I can run through a troop and leap over a wall. And then I go home and two days later I'm in the slumps. And I'm kind of feeling down. It's like, where is God? Just let me die. I'm not even better. And I need you to lift me up. I can't do this on my own. And you can't do it on your own. I need you. You need me. So, and we see that the church in the book of Acts used the gifts of the Spirit for the furtherance of the gospel and for the edification of the church. That means to lift up, to build up the church. We find prophecies in the book of Acts. We find prophets. We find prophetesses. It's not just for men. We find women who were prophetesses. That meant that they regularly exercised the gift of prophecy, the word of knowledge, and the word of wisdom to the point that the church knew them as prophets and prophetesses. We find gifts of healing and the workings of miracles. We see the use of all the gifts of the Spirit in the ministry of the Lord Jesus and we need them in the ministry of His church today. Now, we will not all be apostles. We will not all be pastors. We will not all be evangelists. Jesus was all of that. Amen. He was the foundation of it all. He was the example. He was the example to the pastor as the good shepherd. He was the, he was the example to the teacher as the great teacher. Uh, and the gift, but and he had all nine and utilized all nine of the gifts of the spirit. And the Bible read uh, back where we read in Corinthians, but one and the same spirit works all these things, distri distributing to each one individually as he wills. So this is, as I said, how the, as the spirit of God wills, and not as the believer wills. The Holy Spirit inside the believer, the God who's living in you. That's who the Holy Spirit is. He's God. By the way, twice in the New Testament, it's called uh, Ruach Yeshua, which I'm reading the New Testament in Hebrew. I know it's written in Greek. But it's called, it's called the Jesus Spirit. I mean, that's the translation. The Jesus Spirit. 
So you have Jesus living in you when you're filled with the Holy Spirit. That's why you're His body. He's dwelling in you and moving through you and working through you. And now Jesus had all of these gifts, all of these offices. They were His. And He's not just a royal priesthood. He's the king and the high priest. But as His body, Him dwelling in us, we have access to all nine gifts. Why? They belong to Him. They don't belong to us. They are the gifts of the Spirit, not the gifts of Pepe Lopez. But because Pepe Lopez has the Spirit, the Spirit flowing through him could utilize any of these gifts. Now, having said that, he seems to use the individual members in particular gifts according to the, their purposes uh, in the body of Christ. For instance, a pastor, and we see this all the time here, uh, a pastor will likely, through the Holy Spirit, speak forth in prophecy. And many will do so without realizing that they're speaking prophecy. Because prophecy is not just foretelling, it's forthtelling. It's giving you fresh oil directly from God. It is forthtelling. And that's why so many times we come to church and the pastor delivers our mail. In other words, he speaks exactly what we needed at that particular time. And can I tell you that many here have been utilizing gifts of the Spirit and just never knew what to call them. Because the gifts of the Spirit are not coming to Upper Room. They're in Upper Room. If you have the Holy Spirit, He has the gifts. See, isn't that a beautiful thing? So everything we're talking about right now is present in you because he is in you so uh, a teacher may use the word of wisdom in rightly dividing the word of god god could give him an understanding of the scripture through supernatural means that he himself would not have understood in his own mind because in that particular uh, calling as a teacher in that particular office, his, uh, the point of a teacher is to understand the Scripture and then to teach others the Scripture, to take that which is complex and to make it simple. That's the job of a teacher, and that takes supernatural wisdom. You cannot learn that by going to Bible college. I'm sorry you can't. That has to come from the Holy Spirit. Teaching can be merely academic, or it can be through the word of wisdom. And the gifts are for every believer according to the will of God in their lives. And it's to accomplish the purpose of God of, uh, in the life of the believer and to the church. Once again, for God's purpose. If he put you in the office of a prophet and gave you no spiritual gifts, he wouldn't be a very good prophet. Right? Amen. So God gives you these gifts according to his will for you in his body. So let us look at the individual gifts for the sake of study. And um, we can divide the nine gifts into three categories. So there are nine gifts. And so we're going to divide them in three categories, each with three gifts. Because some of these seem to work together and they seem to work in the same way. Some of these are so interconnected that it's almost like spirit and soul. It's hard to know where the soul begins and the spirit ends. And sometimes these gifts, whenever they're used, they appear to be used in tandem. And we're going to go through each one. So the first three, uh, we're going to look at the, uh, the, the three categories, which are the revelation gifts. Now, these are the gifts that a prophet would use, the revelation gifts. Now, it's not only to the prophet. You don't have to be a prophet to prophesy. But this is for someone who is in the particular fivefold ministry of the prophet, he would use, he or she would use the revelation gifts. Then we have the power gifts, and we have the inspiration gifts. Gifts. Now, the revelation gifts are the word of knowledge, the word of wisdom, 
and the discerning of spirits. The power gifts are the gift of faith, gifts of healing, and the working of miracles, and the inspiration gifts. And they're called that because these things just kind of happen. They bypass your thinking. They bypass your thoughts. And they just are inspired or breathed out by God. God himself just uses you to speak out. And that's why they call them inspiration gifts. And these are diverse kinds of tongues. And many of us, most of us have spoken in tongues. But there are different kinds of tongues that Paul is talking about in, here in, in, in this particular uh, chapter, this particular uh, these, these particular gifts. The interpretation of tongues. So tongues are in a language that we do not understand. And there is a gift that will interpret a certain type of tongues. A diver, there are diverse kinds of tongues, and there's a type of tongues that is to the church. And it's spoken to the entire church, and that should be interpreted. So it kind of works to, like prophecy, except that it uses two people instead of one person. Okay, and that is the interpretation of tongues. And then, of course, there is prophecy. And prophecy is an inspiration gift. When you speak a prophecy, you generally do not do it with understanding. It simply comes out of your mouth. Just like tongues, except that it, it is in English, which is why when a preacher is preaching, very often he'll just say something, doesn't know why he's saying it, and he just read your mouth. And you're like, oh my goodness, please don't look any further. You're going to see what I did last Tuesday night. But in reality, it's not a word of knowledge. He doesn't know what you did last Tuesday night. It's simply an unction of the Holy Spirit speaking through him with a prophecy for you. So let's look at the word of knowledge. And notice that it is not called the gift of knowledge. And some people are knowledgeable and they're gifted, but that's not what this is talking about. This is the word of knowledge. So the word of knowledge is a gift where the receiver receives a special knowledge or a word directly from the Spirit of God. So when someone says, well, the Lord spoke to me, sometimes we just say, well, the Lord, you know, kind of led me, I kind of felt led. But when the Lord actually speaks to you and tells you information, that you would not have regularly known. That is the word of knowledge. And it comes directly from the Spirit of God. You could say that it's a very small part of God's knowledge given to the believer by the Spirit. John chapter 1, verse 45 to 49, records the uh, calling of Nathaniel. And we discussed this last time we were together. But let's look at it one more time with the gift of the word of knowledge in view. The Bible reads, Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And Nathanael said to him, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, Come and see. So Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said of him, Behold, an Israelite indeed in whom is no deceit. Nathanael said to him, How do you know me? Knowledge. How do you know me? We've never met. I've never seen you. And as far as I know, you've never seen me. Jesus answered and said to him, Before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathanael answered and said to him, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. So Jesus saw Nathanael in the Spirit by the word of knowledge. And by the word of knowledge, actually you could say by the word of knowledge, but probably by discerning of spirits, he recognized and he knew Nathanael's character, that he was a man without deceit. And this was so astounding to Nathanael. Now, the Bible doesn't say what Nathanael was doing under the fig tree. 
But I like to think Nathaniel was asking God, could it be that this one they're talking about is the Messiah that we have been waiting for? Now, I don't know. But whatever it was, when Jesus told him this knowledge that was given to Jesus by the Spirit, then it had such an effect on Nathaniel that he believed in Jesus immediately. In John chapter 4, verse 15 to 19, we see the Samaritan woman at the well. And we should know the story of the woman at the well. And, and we know there's a woman who had five husbands and she went down to the well. She went to the well alone. And Jesus had traveled a long distance out of his way because he said, I must needs go to Samaria. Why? Because there's a woman waiting for me. See, he knew. How? By the word of knowledge. And he came to the well and he began to talk with this woman and asked her for a drink. And then he began to tell her about the living water. If you knew who I was, you would ask of me, and I would give you living water. And the woman said to him, Sir, give me this water, that I may not thirst, nor come here to draw. Jesus said to her, Go, call your husband, and come here. Jesus said, went right to the quick, right to that spot that she was so worried about. Right to that spot that was so open and, and raw in her. The one you're with. She said, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you have well said, I have no husband. For you have had five husbands. That means she had five husbands. And something happened that they either left her or she left them. And the one whom you now have is not your husband. Now, this tells us right here that marriage has to be a covenant and that if you're not in that covenant, you're not married. Jesus said, you're with them, but he's not your husband. That hits close to home, and it, you know it hit close to her home. And he was speaking this. How, how could he possibly know this? And so she says, he says, uh, for you have had five husbands, and the one you now have is not your husband, and that you spoke truly. The woman said to him, sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. So at first, as far as the woman was concerned, he was just a Jewish man asking her for a drink. And we don't have dealings with Jewish men. The Samaritans and the Jews were not friendly with each other. But then because he uses the gift of the word of knowledge, she thought this must be a prophet. And then she believed in him as the Messiah. Can you see that the gifts of the Spirit have a profound effect on, on Jesus' ministry and on, on preaching the kingdom of God? It comes with power and it comes with authority. I'm just not, you're, not, you're not here to be convinced with arguments, but with demonstration and with power of the kingdom of God, of the word of God. So she believed in him uh, as the Messiah. In Acts chapter 5, verses 1 through 11, we see the story of Ananias and Sapphira. So we all know that Jesus had the gifts. We all know that Jesus could do miracles. We all knew that, know that Jesus had access to knowledge that was supernatural. But now we have uh, a case here with Peter, who had been nothing more than a fisherman. He wasn't a Pharisee. He hadn't sat at the feet of Gamaliel. He didn't have a doctorate in divinity, theology, workings of miracles, any of that. He didn't go to Oral Roberts University. Jimmy Swagger had laid his hand on him. He was just a fisherman. But now because he had walked with Jesus, and now because he had received the gift of the Holy Spirit, we see this fisherman acting like no fisherman could ever act. And knowing things that no fisherman could ever know. Yeah, we see the story of Ananias and Sapphira, Acts chapter 5, beginning at verse 1. Uh, th they sold a possession in order to give it to the church, and they kept back part of the price. Now, there's no issue with that. If you want to go sell property, and you want to give half the money to the church, that's fine. But if for whatever reason you wanted to come to the church and said, I gave it all. But you kept back part of the price. Uh-oh. You can lie to man some of the time, but you can never lie to God. That's right. Amen. The issue was that they chose to lie about it. 
And Peter knew about the lie through the word of knowledge. He knew they were lying because the word of knowledge, and by the way, the word of knowledge seems to be used in Peter quite a bit. Uh, and he, uh, he informed Ananias that he had lied to the Holy Spirit, not just to men. You're not lying to me. You're lying to the Holy Spirit. And Ananias fell down dead. And we know the story later, the same judgment happened to Sapphira. They brought her in. She didn't know her husband was dead. And he said, did you sell it for such and such a price? And she said, yes, I did. And the judgment that happened to her husband happened to her. And we see again in Acts chapter 20 and Acts 21 that there were warnings given to Paul. And Paul had been traveling, preaching the gospel building churches, and everywhere he would go, a prophet or someone using prophecy would speak to him and warn him about what would happen to him when he went down to Jerusalem. They said, you'll be placed in bonds. You will be delivered to the Romans. And God spoke to Paul through many people and finally through Agabus. And now Agabus is a prophet. The Bible calls him a prophet. He is in the office of the prophet. And we find him in Acts 21, beginning at verse 8, and I'm going to read that to you. On the next day, we who were Paul's companions departed and came to Caesarea and entered the house of Philip the evangelist. Now, Philip is the only one called an evangelist anywhere in the Bible. Now, we see several prophets but we, don't, we only see one evangelist. Now today we see several evangelists and hardly any prophets. I think we have something backwards. And our goal is to be a little bit more, actually a little bit more, we need to be like the Word of God. Amen? We need to be like the Word of God. Now this man had four virgin daughters who prophesied. So his four virgin daughters were women who were known to prophesy. Could you imagine going to that household? My goodness, you need to pray and fast a week. Why? Well, we're going to go see we're going to go see Philip the evangelist and you know, he's a mighty man of God and then his daughters are prophets. They're prophesying. We better have everything right with God, right? So, the Bible says, now, and as we stayed many days, a certain prophet named Agabus came down from Judea. When he had come to us, he took Paul's belt, bound his own hands and feet, and said, Thus says the Holy Spirit. So he's prophesying, saying, This is what the Holy Spirit says. So we're reading here a prophecy from a New Testament prophet. Thus says the Holy Spirit, So shall the Jews at Jerusalem bind the man who owns this belt and deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. So Agabus, a prophet, by the word of knowledge, God spoke to him, knew what would happen to Paul, and Paul was forewarned, prepared by the Spirit for what would happen to him in Jerusalem. Now, if I was going down to Jerusalem to face my death, I would appreciate God telling me. And here's another thing that God was doing, is God was giving Paul a choice. Paul, you can do my will. You know it's my will to go down to Jerusalem. I've already told you. And so I'm going to send all these prophets, and they're going to tell you what is going to happen. And can I tell you, you don't have to obey the words of a prophet. Amen. Paul didn't obey the words of this prophet. Paul disobeyed this prophet. In fact, he said, you keep telling me this, and everywhere I go, but don't you understand that I'm ready to go, and not only to be bound, but to give my life. And he went down to Jerusalem because he knew the will of God for him. So we don't follow someone and call them a prophet and say, well, he spoke, so I have to do it. No, we still do the will of God for our lives, don't we? And we should know what that is. So I have been used in this gift uh, when, it, when the Lord wills. I don't walk around knowing everything, and this doesn't happen to me often, but I will explain in my, my own experience with this gift. And my experience may be different than how others operate in this gift. There are different operations of the same gift, but one spirit. So some people just... You know, they might hear a voice. They might, they could maybe even see letters and read it as if it's script. I don't know, but that's up to God uh, to use them. But the point is that God imparts knowledge. 
And um, in this, as far as with me, when God will speak to me, he'll give me, he'll, he'll speak to me in my mind. As a young man, I heard his voice audibly with my ears. And when I heard that, it, not only did I hear it with my ears, but it entered my body. Kind of almost like penetrated my whole body, soul, and spirit. And, and then the next time he spoke to me, it wasn't audible, but it was the same thing. I felt him in here. And instead of a voice, he would let me, generally lets me know his emotions. And I know that it's not mine. I feel what God is feeling. And then it's as if there's somebody looking through my eyeballs. I mean, like there's somebody here present with me looking through my eyes. And then he, sometimes he'll just let me know how he feels. And then sometimes he'll speak, but it'll be in my mind. And it feels the same way as when he spoke audibly, but it, no one else can hear it. And I think had you been there that day, you would have heard the voice of God. It was audible. It was real. It was actually a physical voice that I think could have been recorded. And for those of you who are new, we can talk about this afterwards. I think most people already know about that story. But several years ago... While I was pastoring a small church, I had preached on the subject, the bride of Christ, and how he, the bridegroom, is perfect. Uh, though his bride, the one he is betrothed to and is betrothed to him, is imperfect. And, um, but he loves her anyway. He loves the imperfect bride. He chose the imperfect bride. Thank God, because I'm part of that imperfect bride. And afterwards, I led the church in an old song, and we remember that old song, His Banner Over Me is Love. He, I am my beloved's and he is mine. His banner over me is love. And I'd be glad to sing it to you except that this is being recorded. <laughs> so, but while I was singing, I felt the Holy Spirit well up in me. He just came up and I, I felt him there and I was singing and then I felt his emotions. And his emotions were joy, happiness. And... So I said in my mind, I said, Lord, why are you happy? You know, what's going on here? And he did it. I didn't make it happen. He just comes when he comes. And that's how the Lord does it with me. Sometimes I'll wake up in the, at four in the morning and he'll be there. It's almost like he's sitting on my bed and he'll begin to speak to me. But this is how he did it. And I said, why are you happy? And this is what he answered. He said, I am going to take one of my children home. Now, I want you to think about what I just said. So I'm looking out at the church, and I've got this knowledge, and it's a little frightening. And, it, and what was even kind of frightening to me is how joyful the Lord was about it. You know, the Bible rejoices in the death of it. The Bible says the Lord rejoices in the death of his saint. Yes. It's not sad to him. It's a welcoming home party. You made it. Come on. Now, I've learned not to speak immediately, but to keep any knowledge given to me by the Holy Spirit to myself. And most of the time, I'll just, I'll just leave it alone. I'll just put it aside, unless God tells me to speak. And I asked the Lord, I said, what do you want me to do with this? And he said, speak it. So I'm looking out of the church, and I'm saying, okay, I, I either have to obey or not obey, and I'm, gonna, I'm going to obey. So... I spoke what the Lord told me that he was going to take. I said, the Lord is happy. The Lord is joyful right now. Now, that's a wonderful thing, right? And then the next words were, because he's going to take one of his children home. Now, imagine being in the congregation and you have children. Now, imagine being in the congregation and, you know, there's only 20 of us here. Well, one out of 20, that's not good odds. If I loaded a gun and I said, you know, every, every 20th time I pull the trigger, it's going to go off. Would you put that gun to your head and pull the trigger? Of course not. So that's how the church felt. And then there were, so there's a dramatic, a dramatic effect. And because one of two things were certain, and that's how this works. You put your neck out there. And it's either going to happen or it's not going to happen. It's either going to take place or it's not going to take place. Now, in this situation, if it takes place, that means someone is going to have a funeral. If it doesn't take place, that means that the word that I said was from God was an error, which means that I'm an error. Okay, so we put our neck out there. And that's how these things work. Sometimes we just have to step out. And to be honest, under the power and leading of the Spirit, it was easy for me to speak, but... 
afterwards as the Spirit of God abated. And those who've ever preached under the anointing know exactly what I'm talking about. Man, you feel that power of God and you're speaking and it's like Jesus is right there in you speaking and everything is possible. But as you're lying in bed at night, you're thinking, oh my Lord, I hope that was you. But if it is you, that means someone's going to die. And that does not make sense to my way of thinking because I question why God would want to speak out a word of knowledge that might cause the church to fear. The prophecies of the church, according to 1 Corinthians 14, are for edification and exhortation and comfort to men. I question if you're prophesying to the church and it's not to edify, to build up the church and for comfort to men. God's not here to judge us and destroy us. God's not here to cause us to fear. God is here to love us and lift us up and comfort us. That's what he's here. But I, had pre- I, I said something that would cause the church to fear. And as it happened, there was a woman in our church. She was a single mother of adult children and a grandmother. And she always spoke about the Lord Jesus as being her husband. And remember, I just preached on the bride of Christ. And the imperfect bride. And if anyone was imperfect, it was her. She would go out of church for months at a time, come back in and repent and say, Jesus, you're my husband. That's what she called him. And I just preached about the bride of Christ. And so she would do that for many years. And three days after I spoke that, I got a call from her daughter. And she passed away. So now the word was true. But once again, why? That doesn't make sense to me still. And so I had, we had to get together. We got our memorial. And at the memorial, I found out, well, not at the memorial, but right before the memorial, I found out that she had died in a way where her family might believe she was lost. And you know how tormenting it is to think that someone that you love could not, might not have made it to heaven. That's tormenting to a family. So now I understood that God had given me that, told me to speak that so that I could look at this family and say, let me tell you what happened. And if you don't believe it, it's recorded. And by the way, it's still recorded. Mm -hmm. If you don't believe it, it's recorded. Look at the date of the recording. Your mother was taken home. God took her home. So I got to edify and I got to provide comfort to men. That's how the gifts of the Spirit work. Now, had I not obeyed the voice of the Lord, I would not have been able to tell them that. I could say, well, the Lord told me something, but now it's recorded. Anybody could say the Lord told them something after it happened. But go look at the recording. So that was the word of knowledge. And me asking God, what do you want me to do with this? There's so many people who open their mouth when their mouth should remain silent, uh, shut. Asking God, what do you want me to do with this, is the word of wisdom. Knowledge and wisdom work together. They are, uh, they are opposite sides of the same coin. What good is having knowledge if you don't know what to do with that knowledge? God forbid you have a gift of knowledge without wisdom. It's like understanding the Bible. It's like knowing the Bible. And I knew a man who studied the Bible every day, hours a day. And then he would cut you with it, stab you with it, which meant he didn't understand the Bible at all. He had no wisdom. He had no understanding. And there are times that we need wisdom beyond our own human wisdom, wisdom that comes directly from God. And that is the gift of Wisdom. We see that in the Old Testament. Joseph was given special knowledge to interpret the dreams of Pharaoh. So God used him in a gift of the word of knowledge. By the way, we see this with the Old Testament prophets. It's not exclusive to the New Testament. These gifts were used. The Holy Spirit would move through them in like gifts. And he had the knowledge that a famine was coming, and then God gave him the wisdom of what to do because the, uh, the famine is coming. So once again, we see the word of knowledge working together with the word of wisdom. Are you following me? Yep. Yes. 
Do I need to slow down? No. All right. Let's uh, take a look at Peter. And he is in Acts chapter 10, verse 9 through 20. Now, uh, the Bible reads, The next day, as they went on their journey and drew near the city, Peter went up on the housetop to pray about the sixth hour. Then he became very hungry and wanted to eat. But while they made ready, he fell into a trance and saw heaven opened and an object like a great sheet bound at the four corners, descending to him and let down to the earth. In it were all kinds of four-footed animals of the earth, wild beasts, creeping things, and birds of the air. And a voice came to him, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. But it's unclean. He can't do it. He's a Jew. But Peter said, Not so, Lord, for I have never eaten anything common or unclean. And a voice spoke to him again the second time, What God has cleansed you must not call common. What is that? It's not a word of knowledge. Because God's not giving him any knowledge about any event, any person, anything. He's giving him understanding. He's giving him wisdom. So he's using a word of wisdom. What God has cleansed, you must not call common. And this was done three times and the object was taken up into him in heaven. So what we have here is a word of wisdom or understanding from God. Peter was a Jew. And as a Jew, he could not enter a Gentile home because almost everything in a Gentile home was ceremonially unclean to a Jew. He could not go with them. He could not eat with them. He could not enter into their house. And little beknownst to him, Cornelius had sent uh, some servants to him to invite him to the house so that he could preach to him the gospel. And so Peter doesn't know this. God had not used him in the word of knowledge yet. He gave him a word of wisdom. I want you to understand something, Peter. Everything that you think is unclean, if I call it clean, it's clean. Okay, I understand that, but what does that mean? Hallelujah, it means you and I are saved. Any Jews here? Are there any Jews in the house? Okay, he's talking about you and me. He's talking about the Gentiles coming into the kingdom, but Peter didn't know what the vision meant, so let's continue in the word of God. Now, while Peter wondered within himself what this vision which he had seen meant, Behold, the men who had been sent from Cornelius had made inquiry for Simon's house and stood before the gate. Now, these are Gentiles. And they called and asked whether Simon, whose surname was Peter, was lodging there. While Peter thought about the vision, they think about the vision. What does this mean? The Spirit said to him, Behold, three men are seeking you. That's knowledge. Arise, therefore, Go down and go with them, doubting nothing, for I have sent them. So God had given, in this case, a word of wisdom first, followed by the other side of the coin, the word of knowledge. Now you know, Peter, that's what this is about. You are going to go with these Gentiles. You're to accompany them. You're to treat them as if they are clean, because I say they're clean. Often, when the word of wisdom and the word of knowledge operate together, um, like I said, they are they're the same side of the coin, and they most generally operate together, but not always. The difference between the two, like there is a difference between soul and spirit. There is a difference between the word of wisdom and the word of knowledge, though they do seem to flow together. And the difference is that knowledge is, it gives us, uh, is informative. It informs us of something. It, gives, it tells us something that is happening in somebody's life or an event to come, uh, a famine coming or, or a drought coming. That is knowledge that we cannot have in our natural senses. And wisdom is directive. And it offers the believer direction, guidance, what to do. It doesn't matter that a famine's coming. It doesn't matter that a drought is coming if you don't know what to do about it. Right? So I'm not, I might have just a little bit of time. I'll jump into the last one of the Revelation gifts, and that's the discerning of spirits. And I want to say, I want, I want to say here that it is called uh, discerning of spirits and not discernment. And this is a gift that is often misunderstood. To discern means to recognize and to distinguish between, but it's not using our own intellect. It's the Spirit of God giving you revelation, discernment, 
to decide and distinguish between. So this can be, uh, this is a gift that can be honed. It can be exercised. And I'm going to pull that Hebrews 5.14. I won't read it. But it basically says that it can be ex- you can exercise to discern both good and evil when you come to the fullness of age. So this is an important gift. I'm not going to be able to spend much time on it. Can I come back to it next week? All right. And I'm going to offer one time, one time in thy word. I think this is the first time in the history of thy word. Are there any questions? Sister Norma. Your own intellect. So I want you to understand about these gifts that they are not by might nor by power. That is to say physical might, physical power, no intellect, no, not our own understanding. It is as the Holy Spirit flows through a person, a, a person with no education who never went to school and who was raised in the, the most isolated parts of Africa can speak the most eloquent prophecy when the Spirit of God flows through them. And I'm going to tell a story about a man who did not speak English giving forth tongues interpretation in perfect English. Next, uh, it won't be the next time we're together, but oh, it might be, but I don't think so. Anyway, let's go to God in prayer. Lord, we love you. We thank you for all that you're doing. And I ask, Lord, that the seed of your word will go deep into our hearts and grow. Lord, we know that it is your will that the gifts of the Spirit be in your church, in your body. And we understand that we need them, God. So I ask now that you will begin to manifest them to all who are available, to all who are open, to all who are willing. Lord, even if they have to step out on faith, Lord, in fear, in the face of fear, to do your will, I pray, in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. The Word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. The Word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. Piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow, discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. I